Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. In my house, we have owned kind of a, a, a smorgasbord of, of small animals, but never a cat and never a dog. And the reason we've never had cats or dogs is because the excuse I give my children, which is true, is that I have very strong allergies which I understand makes me a very weak person and <laughs> makes me the, the robber of joy in my family's house because I have stolen the ability for my children to have joy in earning a pet. Uh, so three days ago, uh, Miles, my seven-year-old, adopted an imaginary dog. His name is Eli. And I, it sounds both like pathetic and beautiful, right? That I, I feel like this story paints me as a Disney villain. But nevertheless, he's having a wonderful time. He loves his imaginary dog, Eli, because there's lots of freedom that goes along with this. He puts Eli to bed every night in his bed. If it was a real dog, there might be certain limitations. But when it's an imaginary dog, really, anything goes. I sat down next to him yesterday morning. He was on the couch, and he was getting ready for school. So I sat down next to him, and he looks at me and goes, Dad, you're sitting on Eli. (laughs) Joy is resilient bliss. It is unstoppable contentment. It cannot be easily distracted. It cannot be smashed or smothered. It is not circumstantial. It is not weak. It does not get allergies. Joy is resilient bliss. I want to explore two poems with you tonight that are both found in the Old Testament, they're both considered prophetic poems. And so when I use the word prophetic, what I mean is that they are speaking to something that both is and something that is not yet at the same time. And these two prophetic poems have a lot to say about joy. And I believe that as we spend time in God's Word tonight, we can learn a little bit about what God's role for joy is in our life and what the purpose for joy is. I believe that God wants to anoint every one of us, every single Christ follower, with the oil of joy. Tonight is week five in a five-week series that we've had talking about what it means to be anointed. We've talked about the oil of transformation, the oil of provision, the oil of purpose, the oil of healing. And then tonight I want to talk to you about the oil of of joy. We're going to jump first to this first poem, and the first poem is found in Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to read the first three verses here. The first three verses read like this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're with us tonight. And I pray, Lord, that as we spend time in your word, that you would speak to us. It's not a dead book. It is a word that is, it is a book that is filled with living truth, with living words. And I pray that you would help each one of us find new life 
in your word tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Isaiah is a very big book. The book of Isaiah is 66 chapters, and it is split somewhere down the middle into two main sections. So the first section would be chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 40. And at the end of chapter 40 in, in Isaiah comes this major historical event. And that major historical event is the exile. This is something that happened in ancient Israel history where the nation of Israel and the capital city of Jerusalem were captured. And for 150 years, they all existed and had to live in exile 400 miles north in a foreign country. So in the middle of the book of Isaiah, there's 150 years in one of those chapter turns. So 1 to 40 is before the exile. And then chapter 41 to chapter 66 is after the exile. When everyone comes back home, and you would think that everything was great, but, but it's not. So they get back home after the exile, and things are still really rough. People are still living in a very ungodly way. They're still getting attacked by their neighbors, and things are really challenging. In the first 40 chapters of Isaiah, the book is filled with a lot of warnings. It's very heavy. It's very, you know, be careful, don't do this, bad things are coming. But then in the second half of the book of Isaiah, after chapter 40, the book is filled with a lot of hope. The prophet Isaiah says, it's, I know this thing still look dark. I know that you might be in a tough season. You might feel attacked. You might feel abused. You might feel disconnected. But I want you to know that something good is coming. I want to want you to know that someone good is coming. And so the poem we just read in Isaiah chapter 61 is one of those statements. It is a prophetic poem that's saying, I know that things don't look great now, but I need you to know that someone really good is coming. And we believe that we see that this is the promise of the Messiah. And in this, you know, did you know that God's anointing comes with purpose? That God gives an anointing on those who he calls, but it is not an anointing just so that we can be anointed, but there is a purpose for it. You know, when God pours out his anointing on your life, it's not just so you could say, wow, now, now I really like church, or like, now, now I really just enjoy the worship service, or, or wasn't that altar time just amazing? But the, uh, the anointing he places on us is an anointing with a purpose. I believe that God has a purpose for every single person that's in this room. That when he gives you good gifts, when he anoints you with the oil of joy, it is not just for you to be a joyful person, but there is a purpose for the joy that he would place into your life. And so because we believe that God has a purpose for everyone in this room, we're going to reread this poem, and I just want to switch the pronouns out, and I want to claim this over your life of the purpose that God would have for you. Let's read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on you because the Lord has anointed you to, one, to proclaim good news to the poor. So the Holy Spirit is in you to help you proclaim good news to the poor. I want to tell you that that there are many people in this life who experience poverty, and they can experience it in many different ways. There are people who are economically poor. There are people who are socially poor. You can have a million dollars in the bank and have zero friends. And there are people in this world who are spiritually poor. God has called every single one of us to proclaim good news to the poor. I want to tell you that if you find yourself at times being agitated by the poor, angry, 
wanting to yell at people who don't get it, feeling angry towards the poor, that is not from God. God has called you to be a message of good news to the poor. I'm excited about this summer. This summer in June, July, and August, for the second and fourth Sunday nights of each one of those months, we're going to be outside. For those evening services, we're going to go to Milwaukee and Oak Creek and Racine and Waterford. And when we go into these public parks to have a service, to share together, we're going to run into some poor people, people that are economically poor, people that are socially poor, people that are spiritually poor. And I want God's joy in our lives to have a purpose, and that purpose is that we want to proclaim good news to the poor. The second one he lists there, he says, number two, he has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. The Hebrew word here for to bind up could also be translated as to bandage up. So I'm not talking about binding up your wrists, wrists and you can't get out. I'm talking about bandaging up your heart. We live in a world where there are many people that are walking around with open wounds. You might tonight feel like you have an open wound in your life. And I want to tell you that God is anointing the people of God to be first responders in the kingdom of heaven to be the type of people who walk around and bandage up open wounds. God is calling you to this purpose. Number three, he says, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You know, think about this. Should Christians be the kind of people who really want to see people punished, who really want to see people locked up, who really want to hold against them the things they've done in the past, or should Christians be the kind of people who want to see the captive set free? The kind of people who want to see sinners forgiven? The kind of people who want to see people who are bound up released? This is the calling. This is the purpose of the anointing of God. The fourth one he lists here is he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So when he says the year of the Lord's favor, this is a very specific reference that anyone in ancient Israel would have known. And it's a reference to this old practice called the year of Jubilee. And it was a, a practice that was in their culture that every time that seven years passed by seven times. So seven times seven, every 49 years would be the year of Jubilee. And in that year, some really awesome stuff would happen. So in that year, if you had any debts, they would be canceled. If you were a slave, you would be set free. If you had land that you used to own, that land would be given back to you, and everything was made right. The Word of God says that when you are anointed, one of the things that you are anointed for, the purpose of your anointing, is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isn't that awesome news? That you could be the person to tell someone else, Hey, guess what? The year of the Lord's favor, it's not 49 years away. It's now. It's today. T -t today is the day in your life where God is going to restore the things that are broken. He is going to set free the things that have been tied up. He is going to make right the things that had been made wrong. So why has God anointed you? Let's read all four together again. Number one, to proclaim good news to the poor. Yeah, say it with me. Number two, to bind up the brokenhearted. Number three, to proclaim freedom for the captives. And number four, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, and what's cool is what happens next. Because when this good work happens, 
God starts making some trades. He opens up kind of a Holy Spirit pawn shop, and he starts trading some things in, and this is what he says. He says, I'm going to trade a crown of beauty for ashes. Isn't that awesome? You think about the last time you had a campfire, and you just ended up with this just pile of black ash, and to think that you could go, like, take a pile of black ash, and you could trade it in for King Charles III's crown, right? Like, that's a good deal. That's a good deal, and this is the kind of trade that God is making by the power of his anointing. The next thing he says, he says, I'm going to trade the oil of joy for mourning. I think all of us in this room have experienced some mourning in our lives. We've all lost something. We've all seen someone or something exit our life earlier than we thought it was supposed to. And God says, I'm going to take your mourning. I'm going to trade you out for some oil of joy. The third thing he says, he says, I'm going to trade a garment of praise for a spirit of despair. Isn't that encouraging? I think every one of us have had that moment where despair has come knocking at our door and has said, you know, what if you just give up? What if we just call it done? What if this is the end of the road? And God says, I want you to bring your spirit of despair to me and I'm going to swap you out, and I'm going to give you a garment of praise. I'm going to give you a, a bright jacket that makes you wonder. I want you to raise your hands and say, God is good, and he has lifted me up, and he has saved me, and he is good, and he is filled with good news. If you read down a little further, this, this trading continues. Here's Isaiah 61.7. He says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and here it is, everlasting joy will be yours. There's a beautiful cycle that I see happening here when it comes to the purpose of the anointing that God has in your life and the relationship between your purpose and your joy. The Word of God says that He will anoint you with joy, not just so you can be joyful, but there is a purpose for your anointing, that you will go with your anointing and you will do the work of the kingdom. That you will go and you won't just be sitting on your hands, but you're going to go, and the anointing he gave you is to do the work of the kingdom. And when you have done the work of the kingdom, it is going to lead you to what? Everlasting joy. And that we keep working in the kingdom to see his work done. Joy is resilient bliss. It is unfaltering contentment. Okay, I promised you we're going to look at two poems tonight. The second poem is in Psalm chapter 45. And before we read through it, I want to warn you about a couple Hebrew words that are here. There's two Hebrew words that are in this poem that are paired together and that are exactly the same words in the same order as they were in the first poem. These words are shaman shason, and these words mean the oil of joy. So in English, it's four words, the oil of joy, but in Hebrew, it's just two words, shaman shason. And these words, paired together like this, only appear two times in all of the Old Testament. They appear one time in the first poem we read, Isaiah 61, and they appear one other time in the poem we're about to read, Psalm 45. I think you'll recognize them when we find them. Here's Psalm 45, verses 2 through 7. The word of the Lord says, You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. Isn't that cool? I would love for someone to know me well, to know the way that I speak, the way that I care for people, and they would say, Dan, your lips have been anointed with grace. Isn't that awesome? 
He says, your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I want to see if you recognize the similarities here. You know, we see the oil of joy again, but what's the purpose of the oil of joy? You know, it's right there in verse 7. He says, you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God your God has said, so that, that's the because word, therefore, right? So it's not disconnected, it is connected. You are doing the work of the kingdom, therefore God, your God, has set you above your com com companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. There's that cycle again. That it's not just joy, but as I am doing the work of the kingdom, God is going to anoint me with joy. And when he anoints me with joy, I'm going to go and I'm going to do the work of the kingdom. I want to remind you that this is a prophetic poem. So we're talking about two things at one time. What's interesting, because we're talking about things that are and things that are not yet. What's interesting about Psalm 45 is that historians believe that it was originally written for an earthly king that the author was writing it for the celebration of an earthly king who was going to get married. Now, the trick is, is they can't figure out which king it was written for, and I'm going to explain why they can't do that. So uh, I bet we've all been to a wedding at some point, and if you've ever noticed at weddings, when you go to a wedding, you're, you're like really nice. And at a wedding, people say really nice things to the bride and the groom. It's a very special day, right? It's the only day that a woman can control whatever other woman in the room wears so that she can make sure that she looks the best, right? And so when you go to these super nice days and you say these super nice things, there's a chance at times that those super nice things that you say may not be exactly 100% true, right? Because it's a super nice day. Well, that's exactly what's happening in Psalm 45, is that the author describes a standard that is heavenly high for this king who's marrying this soon-to-be queen. And the standard is so high. He says that he's going to be so amazing. And he describes him with such a heavenly standard that no earthly king could possibly rise to. So they can't figure out who this poem was originally written for because none of the earthly kings were anywhere near as qualified as this poem makes them sound. But it's a prophetic poem. And so we know that this poem was not written just for what was. It was written for what was not yet and who was not yet. And that this poem is pointing us towards someone who's greater, someone who is worthy of these accolades, of someone who is worthy of this heavenly standard. You know, sometimes the Word of God just kind of takes my breath away, and I've had kind of this moment with this this week. And I understand that, uh, you know, sometimes it uh, can get a little uh, lost in the details, but he here's the, the points I want to strain out about this. When we spend time in the Word of God, it is one of the ways that God increases our faith. You know, God told all of us that we can worship in spirit and in truth, and so it's really important 
that we connect with the Spirit of God and the way that we worship, but it's also so important that we connect with the truth of God. And when we spend times in his word, there are times where when you dedicate yourself to the study of his word, that he will make you stand back in awe at the beautiful threading of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I had one of those moments with these poems this week. So here's the deal. These two poems, these two prophetic poems, Isaiah 61 and Psalm 45, both also appear in the New Testament. And I want to tell you where they show up. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is back in his hometown. He's in Nazareth. And this is really early in his ministry. And so people don't really understand yet who this Jesus is. And he gets the invitation to read some scripture at his home church. And so he gets up. And do you know what he chooses to read? He chooses to read the prophetic poem from Isaiah 61. But this is an extremely bold thing for him to do. Because he gets up there and he uses the correct pronouns and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has called me to proclaim good news to the poor. That Jesus says, hey, you know how like 400 years ago that guy wrote that poem that told you that even though things were really, really rough and even though it didn't seem like things were going to get any better, that they would get better because some, something good is coming, someone good is coming, well, I need you to know that, that I'm that person. And that you were promised that there was gonna be someone who was anointed with the oil of joy. And I need you to know that I am that person who was anointed with the oil of joy. The other poem shows up in Hebrews chapter one. And in Hebrews chapter one, the author of Hebrews is doing the same thing. He's trying to convince everyone. He said, hey, this Jesus guy, He's not, he's not an angel. He's not just a man. He's not just a priest. Jesus is the son of God. He is divine. He is everything that he said he was. And so to make his point, the author of Hebrews says, you know what? Do you remember that poem back in Psalm 45? Do you remember how they were talking about this king who was so awesome, it was almost unbelievable how awesome that king was? Well, in Hebrews chapter 1, he calls back to Psalm 45, and he says, hey, let me tell you, Psalm 45, 7, I'm sorry, I skipped over. It is uh, Hebrews 1, 9. He says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And the writer of Hebrews says, remember Psalm 45? That guy's Jesus. He's that guy. He's the guy who has the anointing who has the purpose. If you think about the ministry of Christ, everything that we had on our list, Jesus did. To proclaim good news to the poor. Did Jesus do that? Yes. Jesus absolutely proclaimed good news to people that were economically poor, people that were socially poor, people that were spiritually poor. Did Jesus bind up the brokenhearted? Absolutely. Every town that he walked through was filled with people with open wounds. And Jesus came to them and he bandaged up their wounds. Did Jesus proclaim freedom to the captives? Absolutely. People that were bound in sin, that saw that there was no way that their lives would ever be free, Jesus brought freedom to them. Did Jesus proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? Yes, he did. For people who thought that their punishment was going to be lived out over a lifetime and over eternity, Jesus said, no, freedom starts now. 
You don't have to wait 49 years. The freedom of the Lord, the year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, it's starting today. It's right here. There's uh, two closing thoughts I want to leave with you, and they're very simple. And the first one is this, is Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. It is resilient bliss, unfaltering contentment, unstoppable delight. And I say all those things, and if, you know, if anyone had the option, if you had the option tonight of like, hey, who would like more joy in their life? I have a f- strong belief that most of us would say yes to that. Like if they were passing out free ice cream cones at Culver's along with a side of joy, we'd be like, yes. Like we're, we're going to say yes to that. But if we believe that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy, then we have to also stare at Jesus' life and ask our question, ask the question of what was Jesus' life like? If Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy, does that mean that Jesus was always smiling? Does that mean that Jesus was removed from challenging experiences? Does that mean that Jesus was not tempted? Does that mean that Jesus was never hungry? Does that mean that Jesus never suffered? It doesn't mean any of those things. Jesus went through all of those things. Jesus knew what despair was. Jesus knew what discouragement was. He knew what temptation was. He knew what pain and agony and sickness was. He knew what grief was. And yet, Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. It's in uh, Hebrews chapter 2. They're speaking about Jesus, and he says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Resilient bliss. Do you see that? He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Can you imagine to have the experience that Christ had to be beaten and bruised and stripped naked and to disregard its shame. That is supernatural joy. That is the powerful anointing of the oil of joy that would make you a person of resilient joy. My second point is this. Jesus wants to anoint you with the oil of joy. I believe completely in my heart that he is both the means and the mode. He is the, the power by which we can have that anointing, and he is also the example by which we can have that anointing. That for every person in this room who has called upon the name of Jesus Christ, who has surrendered control of your life to the control of his throne, God wants to anoint you with the oil of joy. And you might say, Dan, that, that does not sound simple. And, and you don't know what I've been through, you don't know what I'm going through, and you don't understand how dark it can be. But I want you to listen to me. If Jesus could do it, if Jesus could live the life that he lived, if he could suffer the way that he suffered, if he could die the way that he died, and he could do it with unfaltering contentment, And if he's the one who has called you out, if he has chosen you, if he is anointing you, he can do it again, and he can do it again with you. God wants to anoint you with the oil of joy. He wants to give you 
resilient bliss, unfaltering contentment, unstoppable joy. I have two questions I want to ask for you in the closing. I want to pop these up first. I want to ask you first, and then I want to pray with you. Because th- this hits hard. You know, I, I, usually when I'm, I'm working through sermons, it comes in several drafts. And the first draft of this ended up just really positive of like, have joy. But I understand that that doesn't just work, right? I understand that joy is a challenge. And I believe that finding that path is not an easy. And so I want to ask you two difficult questions here. And the first one is, is do you feel like God has anointed you with joy? I think it's a legitimate question. I think there are people in this room who would say, God has done that work. I feel that through the things that I've been through, I have seen his hand anoint my life. And then I would have maybe just as many people in this room who would say, you know, Dan, I don't know that I feel that way. I don't know that I have received that anointing in my life. And I want to pray for you tonight that God will see that done in you. And that may happen instantly as we pray tonight. And that might be a work over the next three months, six months, six years, that God would see that anointing of joy rest into your life. The second question is this, is do you feel like you are walking in God's purpose for your anointing? God is not making you joyful just to make you joyful. God has a purpose for your anointing that you would take what he has given you and you would go out into your world, to your friends, to your family, to your community, and you would proclaim good news to the poor, that you would bind up those who are brokenhearted, that you would free those who are captives, and that you would declare the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you that you're here with us tonight, and I pray that you would speak to every heart. I pray that you would meet us exactly where we are tonight. I pray for those who would be seeking after the anointing of the oil of joy, and I pray that you would give graciously to them. You told us to ask and keep on asking, and I pray, Lord, that as they build up the courage in their heart to call on your name, the determination to keep coming after you, to trust and to believe that you have good gifts for them. I pray, Lord, that you would see your will completed in in their life. I pray, Lord, for those who feel joyless tonight, that you would do a mighty work and that you would be the lifter of our heads. And I pray, Lord, that we would see your work done. I pray for everyone in this room who's called upon the name of Jesus, who has been anointed by your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow each and every one of us to be lit up with purpose, that we would not be living out our Christian lives within the walls of this church, but beyond the walls of this church, we would be active in doing the work of the kingdom. And through that work, you would bring back to us everlasting joy. We want to see your hand work. We want to see your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. We love you. We thank you for this night. We thank you for all the good things you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.